bam 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 yourself. Welcome back, everybody, to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I'm Lisa Linky. I'm one half of your hearty steerer on the boat that is self-help and the other hearty steerer, I guess you could call us captains. That's probably a more known word, <laughs> is Misty okay. Smith, and I'm staring at her. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm three-fourths of this podcast, and that's math. That's what's happening. Great. I'm only doing a half. No, I meant to say one for it. That makes me sound like such an asshole. We swear. Sorry. Hi. Welcome. Also, it's explicit, but you knew that by clicking. If you're a longtime loyal listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener who's about to be a longtime loyal listener, welcome. And this is our full Frontal Friday episodes where we read and review a popular or classic self-help book. Sometimes a weird one just to throw in there because, you know, we need a break too. And then on Tuesdays, we follow up with any homework or supplemental articles or interviews or je provokes, which are thought-provoking questions and all of the like. But alas, as I said, this is Friday. And to timestamp it, today is November 1st. It is All Souls Day. And we've survived Halloween, the spookiest day of the year, somehow. But you are hearing this in the future. And because it's only two days from from the election day, our bodies are giving out on us. Mm -hmm. And so we hope that we are in a much better place. But don't tell us, don't spoil it for us, because we sure wouldn't want to know that it's okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're here and we're excited to do this with you. (laughs) And we love you. And please, while you're at it, just go ahead and flick and click and rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. And lots of people are finding us in this very strange time. And so we've we've gotten a lot of messages. So please do that. Oh, we all need extra help. And also we want to say- Not me, I'm fine. You seem fine. What? Oh, all the books on my bookshelf just started shifting. And I was like, this feels right. This is a 2020 moment. So also California had small earthquake the day that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. seriously? You know, like as I'm like holding my bookshelf against the wall, I was like, seriously? Anyway- Before we dive in, Lisa and I just want to let you know that we have once again for the second year in a row, some fun holiday episodes coming up for you to help get you through your holiday time of need. And if you missed the holiday episodes last year, just scroll back to 2019 and check out the ones in December. There are some honest affirmations and meditations that still make me fall over laughing. <laughs> They're so fun. Our friend Christian yes. did those for us. Yes. Misty, what have you brought for us today? Okay, so just some really light reading, no big deal, just Man's Search for Meaning by Victor <laughs> E. Frankel. And... I th- what about woman's search for meaning? All right, I already hate it. No, you no, you don't. Nope, not allowed to hate it. Not allowed to hate this one. This is a book that's kind of been like floating around. It's come in recommended a few times. And I wanted to finally tackle it just because you and I don't know the results of the election. And I thought it would be nice right. to kind of like... It's also on like every top 10 list of self-help books. Forever, Yeah. Yeah. It's a canonical recommendation. I was going to say gem. Yeah. Who was it? Dan B. Dan Dan B. Said that what what was it? How to win friends and influence people was a canonical turd, which is like the best insult we've ever heard or critique, I should say. Anyway, let's dive in. So this is Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. And I think if I had to summarize it in one sentence, 
I would say it's about man's search for meaning. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. That man needs meaning in his life to make sense of his suffering. And the one thing that can never be taken away from you is your attitude towards any situation. Oh, it's, yep. It is so much more than that, but that was my failed attempt with no, pandemic. Brain. I loved it. It makes sense to me. Can I just say that there is a place in our brain that creates religion? And that if you wiped off religion, if you wiped religion off the, the earth, that they, they estimate that within one day we would have created something new. <laughs> because we need something to make sense. Yes, of because this. if we're sitting here and if we're nihilists and saying like the world is random chaos, like how depressing is that? How upsetting is that? And I think a lot of us have been asking ourselves like, what? is the point of this mm-hmm. suffering and this struggling and like, haven't we all grown enough, you know, kind of a thing. So well, thank God you read this book. Tell me, Misty, tell me about Mr. Victor Frankl yes. and my search for me. Absolutely. Real quickly, the hardcovers $33.99. It is absolutely that kind of book. The paperback is $19.99. Kindle, $7.99. Audio book, $13.97 or one credit. And the OverDrive app for my library, it's free. And that is how I listen to it. I bet you could also find this on like a relative's bookshelf. Oh, it is so popular. And as I, you know, it's been in print for 50 years, as you're about to hear. So this book is actually like practical and woo-woo. So it's practical advice to find the deeper meaning in life, right? It's woo-wickle. It's woo-wickle. Thank you. The latest edition of the hardcover is 196 pages, and the audiobook I listened to, which is a reading from the 1984 edition, was four hours and 44 minutes long. So Ooh, you loved that. Oh, yeah. And it's read by a man with a very pleasant British voice, and he's very official sounding, and he sort of rolls his R's. Ooh, you know what I mean? Like, high British. Yes, Victor Frankl, you know, very official. I didn't know what to expect from this book because all I knew, okay. I only knew like a little bit about it, but I wasn't expecting the last half of it to basically be a psychology manual because Victor Frankl, as you're about to hear, is a psychologist. Right. Or a psychiatrist, we're about Tell to find out. More. But I found the whole thing heartbreaking, interesting, and hopeful. So, a little bit about the author. And this is like, this is an amalgamation from Wikipedia, the inscription inside of the book describing Viktor Frankl and his Amazon author's page. So Viktor Emil Frankl was born March 26, 1905, and he was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist. A Holocaust Mm -hmm. survivor, he was the founder of logotherapy, which literally means healing through meaning a meaning-centered school of psychotherapy considered the third Viennese school of psychotherapy following the theories developed by Sigmund Freud and Alfred Adler. Logotherapy as part of existential and humanistic psychology theories. He is the author of over 39 books. He is most noted for his best-selling book, Man's Search for Meaning, based on his experiences in various Nazi concentration camps. He died September 2nd, Mm -hmm. 1997. So here's a bit about the book. Man's Search for Meaning is at once a memoir, a self-help book, and a psychology manual. It's the chilling yet inspirational story of Viktor Frankl's struggle to hold on to hope during the unspeakable horrors of his years as a prisoner in Nazi concentration camps. 
Between 1942 and 1945, Frankel labored in four different camps, including Auschwitz, while his parents, brother, and pregnant wife perished. Based on his own experience and the experiences of those he he treated in his practice, Frankel argues that we cannot avoid suffering, but we can choose how to cope with it, find meaning in it, and move forward with a renewed purpose. Through every waking moment of his ordeal, Frankel's training as a psychiatrist lent him a remarkable perspective on the psychology of survival. As a result of these experiences, Dr. Frankel developed a revolutionary approach to psychotherapy known as logotherapy. At the core of his theory is the belief that man's primary motivational force is his search for meaning. It reminds me of the drama The Gifted Child with Alice Miller, who you remember was also Austrian, right. Polish-Austrian, mm-hmm. I believe, and rejected psychotherapy completely and outright. Right. Or at least what it was at the time, right? Which was around this time, right? Yeah. No, she rejected in like the 70s or 80s. Mm, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Sigmund Freud had like this I, this idea that it was man's like angst with life was because of his like sexual discontentment, I think, or like yeah, it was always like with the parents exactly. The, and then mm-hmm. Alfred Adler was something else, and then he came in and was like, no, no, it's about meaning. We need meaning. Like it's a bigger mm-hmm. thing. And she was like, no, we just abuse children. And until we really wreck them with that, I don't want no part of this. Just treat children like full people because they are. And you'll do great, says the two women with no children. (laughs) (laughs) Take it from us. Do not listen. As Rebecca Scritchfield said in her episode, the author of Body Kindness, if anything in this podcast does not work for you, rip it out and burn it. Thank you. (laughs) Rip up your phone, throw it in a fire. Let us know how it goes. So here's how the book is structured. There is a preface, and then Mm -hmm. part one is experiences in a concentration camp. Part two is logotherapy in a nutshell. And then there is a postscript, which is titled The Case for a Tragic Optimism. So the first half- Just three parts. Okay. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The first half of the book is all about Victor's experiences in concentration camps. He walks us through. It is devastating. I mean, absolutely devastating. I can't believe you listened to this during this really crazy time in your life Yeah, because, you know, it is November 1st for us, and the election's coming up. But it, it was really hard, and at the same time, validating and reminded me, like, What we are experiencing right now is so hard. This coronavirus and quarantine and lockdown, and people have also suffered much worse. And if they can get through it, we're going to be okay. So it actually kind of gave me this perspective of like, okay, this is not the first time that collectively the world has been thrown into something very outrageous, you know, in disbelief. Mm -hmm. So weirdly, it was validating and hopeful and hard. So- He walks us through many tales that are absolutely heartbreaking, harrowing, and horrifying. He does not hold back. And he's not afraid to say, like, this is how men's psychology broke down. You know, this is what I saw. Like, it's it's a lot. But he does this all through the lens of the psychology he was observing in himself and his fellow prisoners throughout each experience. And he dissects what he felt helped certain men survive and others give up. So it's, mm-hmm. it is really hard to listen to these stories 
because it's still so shocking that human beings could treat each other in such degrading and cruel ways. But as he talks about what he and the other prisoners endured and how to make meaning out of suffering, like I said, it was validating and hopeful. So I am not going to retell any of the concentration camp stories. They are much better mm-hmm. told coming from him and in sure. his own words. And I want it to be all of your our listeners' choices to mm-hmm. when you're in the headspace for that, if you so choose to do that. But it's truly a miracle he survived. I mean, he talks about, you know, 10 different times he could have died. I think anybody coming out of those and, camps. And four camps, you know, surviving all of that for that many years is just bananas, you know? Mm, and, yeah. and something that really struck me is he said, truly, he said that all of the men who survived those concentration camps, and he does use only male pronouns throughout, all of the men that survived those camps, he says, they all know that the best of them did not return because mm. the ones who perished were the ones to give up their food to other people or to volunteer to do work assignments so other people wouldn't have to, you know? So it's it's really just heartbreaking. You know, it's, it's a lot. So what I'm going to do is the last half of the book is this psychology manual. And it really did feel like it was written mostly for psychologists, but in a way that could be digested by a layperson. So what I'm going to do is just share with you some of the quotes that really resonated with me, and we can chat about those. So I hope this is very valuable, and it is, there's no one better to be talking about making meaning out of suffering than Viktor Frankl or a Holocaust survivor. So definitely, definitely check out the book if that's something you're interested in hearing. So here's a couple of quotes. If there is meaning in life at all, then there must be a meaning in suffering. Suffering is an eradicable part of life, even as fate and death. Without suffering and death, human life cannot be complete. And this really reminded me of like wholehearted living, like Brene Brown talks about, or the upside of Pima Children. Dark side, Pima Children, when things fall apart. Like it's not just pleasure all the time. It's an eradicable part of human life. But he also says, and I love this, to suffer unnecessarily is masochistic rather than heroic. So it's mm-hmm. not all about suffering. It's about like whatever suffering ha- you know, happens to come up, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, the way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross gives him ample opportunity even under the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. It may remain brave, dignified, and unselfish. Or in the bitter fight for self-preservation, he may forget his human dignity and become no more than an animal. And so we'll get to this in a second, but he really talks about choice, right? And how to make meaning out of suffering is to kind of view everything as a growth opportunity. And Lisa, you and I were talking about this the other day, like we are forever changed from what has happened, you know, in Mm -hmm. this pandemic. And you were talking about how growing up, you would be like, mom, like, why are you not bothered by the situation? Like, why does this not upset you? And you said she would just like shrug and say, it just, it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal to me. You know, she really felt like as she got older, Things that used to bother her didn't anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like I have absolutely, by being forced, my soul is deeper. 
the things I care about, you know, have come into sharper focus. And I'm just not going to be, not that I was a shallow person before, but I'm not going to be as shallow as I was before, you know, moving forward. So that really I don't spoke know. to me. Uh, let's not make promises, Missy. You know, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I still can't. I, I don't think you were shallow, period. No, but what I mean is like, I'm going to be deeper. Like, I'm not ah. even going to be, I'm not going to care about the trivial, trivial things. Yes. I yeah. do think suffering of any kind makes you more willing to let little things go. Yeah. And I think makes me really appreciate like things like when I've got a hot cup of tea in my hands and I'm done for the day, you know, like the pleasures of life seem a little Although, more Although I will say my Grammy Vivian is truly alive on sugar and spite. The woman <laughs> holds a grudge like no one else. And so, you know, who's to say? Who's to say? Listen, that feels right. <laughs> so <laughs> he says, we need to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead to think of ourselves as those who were being questioned by life daily and hourly. Our answer must consist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and in right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. So to break this down just a little bit, it reminded me of what Cal Newport said in So Good They Can't Ignore You. Instead of saying like, what is my job giving me? Like, what is it providing me? Instead, you can say like, well, what value am I adding to this job and this work? Mm -hmm. So rather than Mm -hmm. like, why isn't life giving me everything I want? Like, instead of us questioning life, we need to realize it's questioning us. It's presenting challenges. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. That's a terrible JFK. I was going to say like, you guys, we officially have the very first ghost on the podcast. (laughs) We're so happy. So to be sure, and I really like this because he he really does, uh, you know, caveat it. To be sure, man's search for meaning may arouse inner tension rather than inner equilibrium. However, precisely such tension is an indispensable prerequisite of mental health. There is nothing in the world, I venture to say, that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's life. There is much wisdom in the words of Nietzsche. He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Mm, That makes sense. And that really tracked with me. Like when you're like, I have a goal, I have a larger purpose. Like I can handle the obstacles that come because I believe in it, you know? Yeah. I do want to say, if you are hearing every now and then a tiny little like, it's because my landlord Zoe is laying on the floor next to me asleep and she has a little tiny semi-snore happening. I love it. So if you're catching that, everybody, that's what's happening. But she's too cute for me to move right now. And you know what they say, let sleeping dogs lie. Why are you calling my landlord a dog? Okay, let's So my apologies. Quote, as each situation in life represents a challenge to man and presents a problem for him to solve, the question of the meaning of life may actually be reversed. Ultimately, man should not ask what the meaning of his life is, but rather he must recognize that it is he who is asked. In a word, Mm -hmm. each man is questioned by life, and he can only answer to life by answering for his own life. To life, he can only respond by being responsible. 
Thus, logotherapy sees in responsibleness the very essence of human existence. But, and this is my own note, it's important to note that he says meaning is individual to each and every man. We are all here to learn something different, glean some other meaning on it. And honestly, in a nutshell, and maybe this is the one, uh, this is the one sentence review of the book, a reframe. Nope. I. <laughs> I'm really trying. Listen, I love it so much. I snore. Don't you dare. Don't you dare okay. cut this out. Keep it. <laughs> what's happening to us, everybody? What is happening? Ta- I'll tell you what's happening. Our bodies are giving out from the stress and anxiety. <laughs> My brain is and like, brains, what are you doing? Bye. And it's 9.15 at night, and here we are. Our brains are like, God, make me a bird. Let me fly far, far away from here. Oh, my God. Okay, so in a nutshell. In a nutshell, the right reframe can make sense of almost anything. You know, I love that. Yeah, like he talked about a man who came in and just could not bear the loss of his wife and was like, why did this happen? I can't go on. He was a rabbi. And he said, well, what? tell me something. What if you had died first? You know, what would your, and your wife was the one who was suffering. And he said, oh no, she could not have bared it. Like that would have been terrible for her. And he goes, then you're, you're actually protecting her from this. And he was just like, okay, thank you. Like that's the reframe. I feel like Oprah did that a lot. Like in our older episodes, when parents would come in and they would be like, my child died. She would be like, let someone who's watching be spared the fate that you are experiencing let your child's oh. life bring meaning for that. Yeah. Yeah. So she clearly read Victor Frankl. <laughs> Oprah. Yeah. Come on the podcast. Okay. Come on, Opie. Forces beyond your control. These are still quotes. Forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing. Your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. You cannot control what happens to you in life, but you can always control what you will feel and do about what happens to you. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He punctuates this by, you know, stories of, even when men knew they were going to the gas chambers, they did it with dignity. They walked in with bravery. You know what I mean? Like they tried to comfort the others who were there. I really struggle with this idea that you can control what you feel about what happens to do. Like you can always, you always have a choice in how you respond. Even if it's, I'm filled with rage and I'm going to choose whether to scream at you <laughs> or whether to stay silent. You know, even if it's a tiny choice like that. But I, I do struggle with, you can choose how you're going to feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I think also, too, a lot of us don't have a choice. You know, if mm-hmm. we've been abused or traumatized yeah. or we're in a fight or flight or freeze, I think that this is by no means am I discrediting logotherapy, logotherapy, yeah. or a Holocaust survivor's experience, yeah. but I'm trying to imagine if I were a sexual assault survivor. Mm-hmm or victim, Mm -hmm. and I was given this book, I would feel like, but my body made a choice for me of what I did in that moment. Oh, yeah. And I I think, honestly, 
something that helped me make sense of this idea is understanding that like, as I work through things in my own personal life through therapy, I find that it can take months for me to change my attitude about a situation or to soften or to say like, oh, this, if there's any silver lining, it's this. Or like you were just saying, like the Oprah thing, like Chanel Miller, know my name, right? Was Mm -hmm. sexually assaulted by Brock Turner. And we have an episode on that. We'll put it in show notes. But her speaking out, her sharing and speaking out about what happened to her and the details of that has moved forward that, that conversation in an important way. As an example, if you choose to walk into a gas chamber with dignity, you do not have the time to process it. No, 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 no. And I, but I mean, what I'm saying is basically like, yeah, we can't control how we feel in the moment, but like, look, this is coming from a man who suffered the worst abuse and trauma, you know? So I I don't disagree. I I guess I'm just saying like, this is tough, right? This is tough, especially when you're talking about when people feel their body betrayed them, right? Or like, you know, if you're a victim of sexual assault, yes, over time you can reframe. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is I don't think he's necessarily saying right in that moment you can change how you feel about it. Like that's what helped me make sense is going like, okay, with guided professional help over the series of months or years, maybe I can say like, okay, there's meaning in it because of X, Y, Z. But that's why I was saying I really struggle with this, like, and how you feel about it. Because when something really upsetting happens to me, I'm upset. <laughs> I cannot and in it's that okay moment. To be upset. Yeah. And I can't in that moment go, you know what? It's okay. Like, no, that comes months later, you know, yeah. depending on the situation. So it does. Yeah. 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 I guess I'm thinking, I'm putting myself, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but like, I feel like if I was on a plane that was going down, I would be the person who would be like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay to the person next to me. Yeah. Knowing full well that we're going to die. Yep. Right. And I would be the one who strips off my clothes and runs up and down the aisles going, <laughs> I'm free. I'm finally and I free. I would be like, ma'am, you have to sit down. You have you to You would sit grab down. me and go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> but like the nihilist part of me mm-hmm. is like, but then you don't get the chance to process that. You are showing up. I'm kind of, this is just how it's hitting me. I'm yeah, just going to be honest. Yeah. You're showing up for someone else without the gift of being able to put meaning to it. You know what I mean? Well, well, no, but the point is, and I think we're getting a little heady here, but it is heady stuff. The point is, and it, this will, I'm going to read this next quote because I think this okay. helps. You can, no matter what happens to you, you get to choose what you'll be in the next moment. You know what I mean? Like you, this horrible thing can happen to you and then you can stand right up or you can stay on the ground or you can. Unless you're dead. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's not saying you're going to have a perfect scorecard, right? No, I want a perfect scorecard. No, I, I mean, this is tough and this is, I feel like what he's asking us to do is to be our best self. And when, when we need to, we need to, reframe and work so that we can be our best self. And I love that. Yeah. And then I think about like, you know, the upside of your dark side and like, it's important that we get angry sometimes. It's important. that. Oh yeah. And I don't, I don't think he's saying don't feel that because he talks, Mm -hmm. he talks all throughout the book about how he talks about like how angry he was, how scared he was. He watched people fight back and die. Then this deep apathy that came in, this, you know, emptiness, and then this dark humor. Like he talks, he really like walks us through the range of emotions. And also 
says that no matter what has happened to you in your whole life, if you're alive and well, you get mm-hmm. to wake up tomorrow and decide, you know, I like, are you going to yeah. let it make you bitter for the rest of your life and abuse other people because you were abused? You know, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you get to just And we react. say all the time, listen, this is our interpretation mm-hmm. of how we read it. But yeah. I think this is what happens in conversations, right? Yeah. I read a book, I bring it up at a cocktail party yeah. or at a dinner, and people are like, well, hold the fuck up. Yeah. And you're like, I just read it, and I'm trying to tell you what I gleaned from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, But I think it does stimulate... Really, really good books or, or things that are about deep things that yeah. have no real clear-cut answer do stimulate great conversation, which is Absolutely. one of the things that our listeners tell they love. And I'm so grateful that you and I have this yeah. ability Container. to be like, yeah. I'm angry. Yeah. yeah. And and like, again, this is like why I love that it comes from it. And keep, keep in mind, this is, this was originally published in 1959. I feel like we are just now in 2020 really discovering the long-term effects of deep trauma, of PTSD. Like, so there's not a lot in here. There's almost nothing in here about like, hey, if you've been through a traumatic situation, like your brain might have rewired in ways that are not serving you. They're not helpful. You cannot choose to be the, the right, you know. So this is really coming from a man who, and he's, it, took him years to recover from his experience. And then, and I think he really found meaning in trying to help other people and going, so maybe any good that came out of my experience is that I could now help other people who are suffering. I love you because you contextualize things for me. Thank you. So wonderfully. I'm so glad. Tell me this next quote. Thank you. Okay, so to put a nice bow on it, Mm -hmm. he says, man is not fully conditioned and determined, but rather determines himself whether he gives in to conditions or stands up to them. And this can even mean internally. Like Mm -hmm, you could be mm -hmm. totally degraded, but you are like holding onto your own Mm self-worth. Because keep in mind, these... These people were stripped of all documents and records. They yeah. didn't even have names. They were a number. Nobody yeah. even wanted to learn their names. So he says, in other words, man is ultimately self-determining. Man does not simply exist, but always decides what his existence will be, what he will become in the next moment. And I really think this is an mm. internal attitude or anchoring that you have to yourself. You know, it's not like, because we always try to acknowledge systemic racism, sexism, ableism, thin privilege, you know, all of the things on this podcast. But really what you can always try and foster is your your sense of depth and solidity of yourself inside. I don't have to internalize everything that comes my way. Yeah. Or like they can take away, and these men and women had everything taken away from them, their life's work, their clothing, Mm -hmm. everything, Mm -hmm. their body hair. Mm -hmm. Their hair, yeah. Yeah, and the only thing they had left inside was like, not even the way they reacted to it. And maybe that's why we're struggling with the language a little bit. I really wish that it had been termed in like, your internal sense of self is the one thing Mm -hmm. that you can kind of keep coming back to. That's a great way to update it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really, you know, I process out loud, so I'm really feeling this out. So he says that Dostoevsky said once, there is only one thing that I dread, 
not to be worthy of my sufferings. These words Mm. frequently came to mind after I became acquainted with those martyrs whose behavior in camp, whose suffering and death bore witness to the fact that the last inner freedom cannot be lost. It can be said that they were worthy of their sufferings. The way they bore their suffering was a genuine inner achievement. That really felt validating to me because sometimes I feel like with everything that's going on, like, oh man, I'm crying too much. I'm sleeping too much. I'm not motivated enough. But then when I look back, I go, wait a second, I'm giving my body what it needs and I'm doing the best in every moment. And so I really feel like I'm the way I'm bearing my suffering is a genuine inner achievement. Yeah. Yeah. And he says- I think this is hitting me too because- I am very sad about the way that we're still treating people, right? Yeah, that was something too. my therapist said to me. I think I told you that she was like, look, Lisa, people are going to do terrible things to people. Yep. That's just never going to go away. Yep. And you have to decide how much you're going to expose yourself to that because mm. it hits you deep it and does. you start thinking about how and why and how that could happen and why people mm. could do that where mm-hmm. most of us just... Don't think about it. Yeah. So I really just want to say thanks again for reading this during this fucking shit show. Yeah, I really wasn't. I don't know what I was expecting from the book, but it was definitely different than what I was expecting. And I love that you said that because Lisa, you could choose to sit there and get so bitter and angry about what is happening. And and that's great. And that's great. But you could choose to stay (laughs) in that and really let that fester. Yeah, but I mean permanently or. Even though maybe it feels like it's insurmountable, you can continue to volunteer for the rest of your life or for the next year. Or, you know, like you can continue to keep showing up. So I really, that's how I'm interpreting what he says. So Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Yes. My pleasure. And thank you, Viktor Frankl. We're almost done. Just a couple more quotes. So You're doing great. He was saying um, that the way these men bore their sufferings was a genuine inner achievement. And he continues to say, it is this spiritual freedom which cannot be taken away that makes life meaningful and purposeful. Mm -hmm. So he's saying that this is really, you know, man's search for meaning. How do we react? Mm -hmm. He says, the crowning experience of all for the homecoming man is the wonderful feeling that after all he has suffered, there is nothing he need fear anymore except his God. And that's kind of what we were saying, you know, about about like when we come out Mm -hmm. of this, like if somebody, you know, gently backs into my car while they're parallel parking, who can care? You know, like as a, like that probably would have sent me into a tailspin a year ago. And now I'm like, okay, have a good day. Like, Were they wearing a mask? Yes. Love you. Love you. you Thank you. (laughs) So I actually really loved this quote. This is kind of a non sequitur, but he says, he starts talking about like the void that we feel and the discontentment. And he says, Sunday neurosis, that kind of depression which afflicts people who become aware of the lack of content in their lives when the rush of the busy week is over and the void within themselves becomes manifest. I love what he just described because he basically just described the Sunday scaries. (laughs) Yeah, he did. (laughs) I was like, okay. He, says, he probably was like, oh, there's Sunday scaries. I can't call it that. Yeah, no, that doesn't make any, that's not. I'll post that on my Instagram later. 
Listen, listen. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human he is and the more he actualizes himself. So really like being of service to others can help you find meaning. Mm -hmm. Deepening that inner sense of self can help you find meaning. And then he gives this example. I really loved this. And this is the second to last quote. I loved this so much because it helped me kind of understand something deeper. So basically, he was trying to make sense of suffering for this woman who was dealing with suicidal thoughts and just being like, why? Why is this happening? Why am I suffering so much? And he talks about, we don't always know the end meaning of why we're suffering. And he gives this example. He says, the question was whether an ape, which was being used to develop a poliomyelitis serum, and for this reason, punctured again and again, would ever be able to grasp the meaning of its suffering. Unanimously, the group replied that of course it would not. With its limited intelligence, it could not enter into the world of man, i.e. the only world in which the meaning of its suffering would be understandable. Then I pushed forward with the following question, and what about man? Are you sure that the human world is a terminal point in the evolution of the cosmos? Is it not conceivable that there is still another dimension, a world beyond man's world, a world in which the question of an ultimate meaning of human suffering would find an answer? What? (laughs) Okay. So this ape is I'm suffering sorry, I'm a lot. Still, listen, you know that I have a problem with animals being hurt. Well, so oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, still thinking about the ape. I know. I saw your face when I said it. So basically, this ape who's being punctured over and over is helping to develop a serum for polio. Yeah, but it's, you didn't ask for that. I know. But so it's really important. And his suffering is going to help so many people. But he'll never understand why he's suffering that much. And so then Viktor Frankl is saying, well, can you not imagine that maybe there's another dimension beyond this, you know, where we'll understand Oh, we're living in a simulation and our suffering is for our overlords. Right. Exactly. Got it. You get it. Listen, you're talking to a conscientious objector of zoos. Oh, yeah. And circuses. I really do not like testing on animals. Yeah. So, Lisa, he didn't test on animals. Let's listen, not hold him responsible for this. He put forth a hypothetical, and I am still struggling with it because I am, at my core, a very tender heart surrounded by a cold, cold bitch. That tracks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I love you. I, but I, I also love think you. we're living in a simulation, and I agree. I love you. I love your heart. But I, I do love that this example is like, no, this, like, it's so, this animal suffering is so important for this one cause that they're working towards. And the animal will never understand why it's going through that. And we may not ever understand the ultimate meaning of our important cause until we have better intelligence in the next dimension. So this is where it gets boo-boo, right? So I'm going to end on this quote. It is well known that humor, more than anything else in the human makeup, can afford an aloofness and an ability to rise above any situation, even if only for a few seconds. So that is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Just the briefest brief overview. There are so many gems in that book. And obviously yes, we can't cover every single thing. So go buy the book and support the author if you want Congratulations. to know Well done. Thank you, baby. I still am thinking about that poor ape. We're gonna, and I will all night. Let's Thank talk about that. Let's talk about it offline. I got you. Did this book need to be written? Oh, yep. Yeah. 
So understanding how a person, and let's be real, millions of people that Mm -hmm. were murdered in the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. understanding how a person can live through some of the worst suffering imaginable and then come out the other side and still find meaning in their lives is a lesson that I really feel needed to be passed down. And the fact that he had the lens of neurology and psychotherapy, you know, going Mm -hmm. through these experiences was was particularly unique. Yeah. Yeah. What, if anything, did you try to put into practice from this book? Oh, (laughs) does that side tell you anything? I uh, have been ruminating on my own suffering and the collective suffering we're all currently feeling and trying mm-hmm. to reframe my response to it. Not not my response, but kind of like my attitude about it as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying, and not super successfully, but I am trying to view it as an unprecedented opportunity to deepen my soul, my mm-hmm. compassion, and my mental fortitude. Okay. And it's like you and, and I how's were- how's that affecting you? <laughs> It's helping a little bit to zoom out. Like when I think about, and I really love to future trip right now. So like when I think about you and I five years from now, chatting Mm -hmm. about like, man, that time in our lives really, it was so hard, but it definitely built up our compassion around mental health, you know, or whatever that is. It's really helping me to like think about being past this and how we might feel about it afterwards. I love that. Yeah. So Yeah. Do you feel like the author missed anything? I do. Uh, I know. My only note is that I would have loved more female pronouns in the book. We were never going to have non-binary pronouns in 1959, you know, but they did know about women and that women existed. And really, he only references, you know, like his wife once or twice or like the women in the camps once or twice or any Mm -hmm. of his patients you know, once. So I really, it was like, man, this and he, this and him, that. And it was like, okay, but it is, it's a search for meaning. Maybe he meant to write a follow-up. Yeah. Yeah. Human search for meaning, but alas, this book is a product of its time. And yeah. And the other thing is psychology has come a long way since he wrote this, but I can see his influence in so much modern psychology work. Yeah, there's right. a lot of people who are like, what is the meaning you're attaching to this? What is the meaning? It's They're all very, reframing. Yeah. No matter, like, you cannot control how other people react. You can only control your own reaction. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, who would you buy this book for and who would you never buy it for? I would buy this book for anyone who is uncomfortable with suffering. Like anybody who is just like, I need to feel joy constantly, you know? And like, I cannot. No, I can't. vibes only. I cannot be around you because you are like so negative right now. Right. Or someone who feels like they're failing if they're not happy all the time. Or anyone who honestly, who loves history or psychology because this book is chock full of both. And who would I never buy it for? I don't know. Maybe someone who's like, really deeply depressed because this is a hard book to read, you know, like that you really have to be in kind of a good open place to, to take in these stories because they're hard. They're really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a listener challenge and or homework for me? I do. I would like you to reflect on your suffering, current or past, and ask yourself what meaning there might be in it. 
Just like okay. maybe one thing. And you know, Lisa and I have a mini-sode from I think like a month or two ago where I ask, like, if you could, would you take back your struggles? And we have a really good conversation about this. So we've yeah. already tapped and into we this. Di- and we differed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Misty, that was just excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I know this was not like a super traditional episode with our quotes, but I just I just feel like it's better presented in his own words. I loved it. I mean, I will not stop thinking about that ape for the rest of the week. Oh, and do do you remember this gem for a longtime loyal listeners? No matter what you do, do not think of a yellow Jeep. Don't think of it. Good luck having that on your brain for the next three years. Love you. All right. I well, love you, with everybody. that, life is abundant. abundant. <laughs> Good. I love you, night. Misty. I love you, Lise. Go Help Yourself was produced by Misty Stinnett and Lisa Linky. Our theme song was written by the inimitable Matt Sav. Inimitable. There's nothing we love more than hearing from you. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at gohelpyourselfpodcast on Instagram and at ghypodcast on Twitter. And you can go old school and check out our website at gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. It basically is a fancy PowerPoint slide. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review because it helps other people find our show. You know who else needs to find it? Your friends. Tell all of your friends. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.